The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore and examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Expert Series, where we explore and examine the fundamental concepts, tools, and topics surrounding OneStream. And in this, our second season, we're diving into how customer business requirements become real solutions. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software. And as always, I'm excited to bring this discussion to you. And today, I'm very grateful to welcome my guest, Kevin Hebel, Director at SCH Group. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk about this today. Data reconciliation is, we, it's, we've been building it up through the podcast. Everybody's come on. What's the biggest risk to a project? Top three, everybody, it's data reconciliation. So this, this is really important, I feel like. This will be a, a really good discussion. But before we get into that, tell me about SCNH Group. What's the history? What, what makes you guys special? What do you do? Yeah, sure. No, thanks. Uh, SCNH, we're, we're a management consulting and CPA firm. Uh, we've been around for 30, 35 years now, um, really working on this type of project, CPM implementations, for about the last 25 years. Um, my background is, is all in CPM implementations as well. But a couple of quick notes on our consulting practice. Um, we really focus on organic growth. I mean, really quality of life for our consultants retention. Those are our, our real pillars because I think if our team stays intact and works well together, then we're going to deliver really excellent solutions for our clients. I think it's a differentiator for us. In my history leading the practice uh, since its inception about four years ago, we've had one resource leave our practice. Oh, wow. Um, and he actually went into real estate. So, um, you know, retention is key, really building that foundation that can deliver and uh, and validate data appropriately with our clients. So, um, you know, that's a, a quick highlight on us. But let's let's dive in and, and talk a little bit about validation. All right. Yeah. So this season, we've, we've been talking about how how these concepts become reality. And, you know, through any implementation, you know, we're going to have this data reconciliation phase. And I guess it's always more in, I guess, uh, more of a focus related to actuals. The data has got to be perfect, less so than with forecast and even less with budget or management reporting. But let's talk about where where do you guys start data reconciliation? When do you start thinking about it along the project phase? I don't think you can really start data validation too early. We've been fortunate in our you know history with OneStream. We've run into a number of extremely complex consolidation projects, um, you know, yeah. clients that have thousands of entities, uh, we had one client that had 12 different consolidation methods that required customization, um, you know, thousands of accounts, many reporting hierarchies, thousands of members in user-defined dimensions. And we've seen this multiple times in our experience. And what we sort of emphasize is even in that first uh, an initial set of design meetings is that we need a plan and a strategy in place from the very start of the project. I mean, you really, you can't start too early. So it starts during design with planning. And I think foundationally an understanding of what are we going to be comparing this data in one stream back to what exists in place today and what are maybe some of the challenges that exist in your current system that are going to flow through and create that data validation challenge when we, when we implement one stream. You know, we talked about uh, at that early that early phase. You, you know, you're looking at the data to get a sense of the size, complexity, the the organization of the data unit. But I think you bring up a great point. You know that 
uh, it makes sense to start to think about reconciliation too and issues you might have. I mean, as you're looking at the dimensions, you're going to have to map to them. You're going to have to try to figure it out. So it, I think that makes a lot of sense. But that said, how soon in the project do you start loading data then? Yeah, well, what we'll do is, is you know, in, in, the, in our build phase, you know, of course, you, you've got to get your metadata and your foundational structures into one stream initially. As soon as we have metadata, we will start to look to load data into the application. And it's not necessarily because it's going to be perfect at the start, but yeah. it supports the build. It supports the development of calculations. I think most importantly, it supports that client understanding of how their data is going to look within one stream and in, a, in the one stream structure. So our ask usually is almost a project prerequisite. Hey, look, we know we, we don't know exactly what the spec for your data is going to be um, for one stream. We haven't finished kind of going through the application, but let us see data files now, uh, even yeah. during design. And that way, as we get into build, we can get data in as early as the first week or two of the build process. And that makes sense. I mean, it's going to help you validate your build. I mean, little things like, did I get every account type right as you're loading in data? I mean, you, you can look at the net income number at the top of the account hierarchy and figure out like, okay, is that right? Or maybe you made a mistake with, you know, a Contra account or something like that. It, it's easy to fix when you can actually see real numbers, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And I, I think even before we, we get to that piece, I mean, the reason we start talking about validation so early in projects is because there is an element to this that is going to put a lot of time and effort on our client as well. So, you know, we we sort of the strategy piece of it comes first because it's, hey, um, who's going to be involved? Uh, what's the timing? I know we're going to get into some of this as we go through the conversation, yeah. but then it's let us get data in here and let us start to show you what it looks like in one stream, get you familiar with the data structures, the way data is going to aggregate. And that then tends to really give us momentum getting into the more complex components of validation as we go. When you're pushing the data in, who owns the mapping? I mean, maybe initially you're, you're loading in some sample files or how, how soon do you have clients start to load in the data? And then from that, do you find you guys do a central or distributed approach to owning the mappings and getting data in? Yeah, so I think data integration um, and and getting data into the appropriate places in one stream is really foundational to understanding the solution. So yeah. um, as much as we'll do some of the, the heavy lifting with getting up the mappings and the integrations set up initially, we want to have the administration team or the folks responsible for loading data familiar with that really as early as possible in the build phase. So um, typically it's a mix. I mean, we'll, we'll have joint working sessions where we bring resources in and we show them the process of the chevrons and the steps to, to load and, and validate the data, how to change mappings. And then as we um, you know work through loading periods of data, there's going to be missing members or missing mappings, and we troubleshoot that directly with the client. So we'll engage them from the, the very start to make sure they get familiar with the process uh, end to end. Um, also, because you know, when you think about uh, validation and, and the question often comes up, you know, who's responsible? Is, is the consulting partner responsible? Is the business responsible? The reality is that um, as, as great as I think my team is, you know, we don't have the background information on all the historical things that have happened in the data that belongs to, to, to the customer, right, to the business. Yeah. So um, we can only take that so far uh, without needing the support of, of, you know, the resources from the business. And, um, you know, them being engaged and involved is only going to accelerate their understanding of one stream and ultimately the solution that we put in place. So that was one of my next questions, how involved the client should be. And it sounds like 
your your take on it is because of their their knowledge of the data, the history, um, why certain things are the way they are, their, their understanding of the chart of accounts. They've got to be pretty involved. Yeah, absolutely. And and what we'll do is starting with the first week of the build, we will have either weekly or biweekly data validation meetings. And the purpose of that meeting is to set the stage for responsible parties across the business. Who is responsible for validating which data set and signing off on which data set? So we, we start with setting the stage with uh, really identification of resource for sign-off. And then from there, we build data validation teams. And again, depends on complexity, right? If, you're, if we're dealing with a little bit of a, a smaller data set, a simpler solution, you're going to have potentially less resources involved. And when you get into the much more complex, maybe global uh, organization, complex consolidation, you'll have a little bit of a larger team that's involved there from the client side. So this is interesting, you know, and I, I really like this approach that you're laying out. So during the reconciliation phase, you're actually identifying segments of the data that teams are going to reconcile and you're building a support group around that. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, there's a there's a, a basically a lead for each each data set from a business from the business side. That's this, this resource who's going to sign off. And then there's a team, again, depending on the complexity and the size of the implementation, there'd be a team that's responsible for each component. Usually it aligns with reporting requirements. So usually it won't be down to the individual metadata level of detail. This person is responsible for entity, this one for account. Got it. Usually it's, it's in alignment with the reporting, uh, the reporting needs of the organization. Which makes sense. I mean, that's ultimately what you're reconciling to. The reason I call out the approach is, I mean, there there have been, I have seen examples of implementation strategies where they just say to the client, hey, you're responsible for data. I get real frustrated when I see that because I like the approach that you do. Plan for the extra support, plan for the work that's involved and be there to help navigate it. Because if, if you can't reconcile the data, the project's going to fail. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? So you want to be there to guide that process. And also too, I think it's really important the client's involved and you're there supporting them. If I was putting together a team, and like I said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we've had multiple people come on the the show here and say, data reconciliation is a risk. It's a major risk to the project. I'd want to be there to make sure it goes well. And it sounds like that's, that's exactly what you guys do, which is great. I always I drive the PMs crazy, uh, you know, on on these projects because they'll open up the first status document. You know, we'll be two weeks into design, and there'll be a, a risk that says data validation, and they, and they say, "How can you identify this as a risk already?" And I say, well, "Look, I just want to put the emphasis there and make sure every person on this project is aware that this is a critical component and that we must do this successfully to be successful in the implementation." So. I, I highlight it as a risk, not because I think that we we will run into issues, but it's more that the attention from everyone involved in the project needs to be there to make sure that you're successful in that phase of the project. And I think it's worth pointing out, too, this isn't a one stream issue. I've done Hyperion Enterprise, BPC, HFM, S-Space, every, every project, especially related to actuals. When you're loading data, even out of CPM, when you load data into a database and you've got to make sure those numbers are good, 
it's always more work than you think it's going to be. It's really not a tool specific thing. I would agree. I would also say it really depends. You know, the, the, the challenge here depends um, very much so on the implementation. What are you coming from um, originally? What's your, your, your source system uh, and your reporting system today? And then what are you going to in the future? I mean, there, you know, we've had projects where um, our, our, our client has implemented an ERP at, um, in coordination or really in parallel to the CPM, the one stream deployment. And in that case, you know, your reconciliation becomes much more complex because you have an ERP side um, and a CPM side to the reconciliation. So it really depends on a number of factors in terms of, you know, the, how, how big the risk is, the level of effort. You know, one other point I'll make is that when we go into these projects, our goal is is optimization, right? You really want to improve process. It's not just the idea isn't do whatever you're doing in the old system in one stream. The idea is let's leverage one stream to the best of its capability. And if we're going to do that, oftentimes our dimensionality is changing. The way that the, the data is structured is changing. Um, and that leads to like a, you know, kind of in a triangulation as it relates to validation, right? You're not just looking at one thing and going to another thing that's the same, right? You're really, things are changing as you, as you move into the new solution. So, um, you know, depending on the volume of change, the complexity of the implementation, if anything's changing in the ERP, it's certainly going to change the level of effort for both the consulting team and the business as it relates to, uh, to data reconciliation and validation. That's a great point. I mean, those lift and shift projects, we're just trying to get on something new and the dimensions don't change. It goes a lot faster for sure. What kind of team mix do you use when you go through the data reconciliation? You, you were saying you have a lead for each each segment. How do you guys coordinate or, or team up on that data? Yeah, yeah, you're like a good consultant. I'll, you know, I'll tell you it depends, right? So uh, <laughs> on a number of factors, <laughs> but um, but it, what I would say is, um, so our our approach to to delivering uh, on these implementations, it's very team based. So you know, a typical project that we deliver will have you know a director like myself uh, in really an oversight role. We'll have um, what we call a senior manager, really a solutions architect. We'll have a manager, a senior consultant, and a staff consultant. And sometimes there's more than one senior consultant or staff consultant. And within our structure, the way that we operate is that everybody is kind of involved and understands each component of the project. So we don't, while we have some specialists and some resources that are really excellent in certain areas, every resource on that team should be capable of understanding the data structure, right, the metadata, um, the integrations, the mappings, and ultimately be able to support validation. On the consulting side, it really is a mix. Anybody can be assigned to any component of the validation, and typically that solutions architect or the director are going to be leading strategy. Um, on the client side, what we typically see is that um, there is usually like a director, uh, you know, the project lead is kind of playing quarterback. And then that there's resources that are responsible at a management level for each of the various reporting components. Maybe somebody takes cash flow. Somebody takes the income statement um, for statutory reporting. Somebody takes the income statement for management reporting. And somebody takes the balance sheet. Right. It might be that type of division. And it's a leader in the, in the organization that's responsible for each uh, financial statement. And then underneath of that person, they may have their team, their staff that are responsible for the ticking and tying and the actual, um, you know, hands on keyboard work and validation. So this next question I'm, I'm going to ask and then I'm, I'm going to kind of answer, but I want to hear your thoughts on it and talk about it a little bit. I've been asked before by clients you know, when the, the sort of the overwhelming work that comes in for data reconciliation, or if the project slipped at all, 
People are concerned, well, how are we going to get back on track? Can we reconcile data any faster? Can we outsource it? Can we bring in third parties? I think you kind of hit on a big part of this is, well, no, we can bring in somebody else, but they're not going to know your company. They're not going to know why things are set up that way, even if they know one stream, which often, you know, if you're bringing in some third party resource, they might not know the, the software we're working with. But also, too, I think that the data reconciliation is it's an opportunity for the client to learn the skill set, the tools to answer questions when end users have problems, meaning where did this number come from? How did you calculate this? This isn't the number I put in. Where did it come from on my report? And going through that data reconciliation process, you can look at a report, trace your way back to the database, see how it was mapped or calculated and and fix it or answer the question. You know, and I think like you, you've got to as a client, you've got to go through that process to really get the most out of the software. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, we're, we're going to lay out resourcing plans, right? And we're going to make sure that, you know, there's resource availability to look at this. And every, you know, I've never worked with a, a client who said that all my resources are available 100% dedicated to this project, right? So, you know, you're, you're, you're certainly going to have that issue. But to me, like what you said is the fact of the matter, which is that if you don't put in this effort during reconciliation, in a way, you're almost delaying the learning that you're going to have to do anyway in order to get really comfortable with the data and the solution, right? You're almost saying, okay, well, I'm going to put it, I'm going to outsource this or I'm going to have someone else do this. Then when you get into month one, month two, month three after go live and you're needing to dive in and get into the details, you lost that opportunity during reconciliation to really learn the nuance of the, you know, the lower levels of detail and the drill through and those elements of the solution. So I think there's definitely that learning and training benefit. I think you can outsource components of reconciliation and do it successfully. Like which ones? Which ones are you thinking? I think you can outsource the lowest level ticking and tying. If you're an organization that has a significant data volume, let's say you're you have thousands of entities and someone, you know, at, at the lowest level of detail wants to do a trial balance tie out for each of the base entities, as an example. I think that's the type of thing that you can outsource because you can create the templates that a user, an outsourced user would use. And what they're really doing is refreshing against old system and new system. And they're verifying that everything lines up. And then if there's an issue, maybe they have one or two or three steps they can do to troubleshoot, but it's something that gets handed off or passed off for someone else to review. So I think, you know, based on your organization, organization size and complexity, lowest level of detail, I think you could do uh, um, some of that tie out. Now, you said something interesting in there. You, you talked about maybe having somebody go in and reconcile. And I've had clients ask this too. We got to reconcile every uh, trial balance at the base entry level, base entity level. Here's a question for you. There's sort of a balance, right, between ticking and tying every data cell in the database for every account, for every entity, for every period. There's a diminishing return, I think, in that. So how do you balance what to test, where to test? Do you really need to test 100% of every entity in every account? Or what's your strategy around that? Great question. So what we, we when we um, have our initial design discussion around validation, and ultimately when we get into our weekly cadence at the beginning of the build, that's the exact discussion that we have um, with the client is let's talk about level of detail. So level of detail is um, for our for every dimension, right, in the application for our UDs as well, at what level of detail do we need to test and validate um, the information? 
usually we land in a good spot. Some of our clients have much more stringent controls in place, have a much more um, detailed view on what needs to be reconciled, and they want to go lower, in which case we focus on developing templates or efficient ways to validate more data at a time, right? So you're you're sort of trying to use solutions to help uh, with that process. Some of our clients lean very heavily the other way and they say, hey, like if it ties at the top, then we're pretty good that it's tying down below, right? So um, I think the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I think you want to choose, um, like we have uh, organizations that have entities where, you know, of their thousand entities, there's 50 of them that are kind of their problem children, right? That, that typically have uniqueness in the way that the data is uh, uh, loaded in the ERP. Um, they have, you know, they've dealt with uh, very unique challenges with those entities uh, for, for one reason or another. They're going to spot check um, those 50, uh, and then they're going to randomly select another 25, 50 entities. And if they see that the trial balances are good for those 100, then they're going to let the other 1,000 or 2,000 aggregate and roll up and see how the data looks at a consolidated level. So I think that middle ground is appropriate, right? Let's look at the trial balance level for some uh, subset of the entities, and then we can start looking at our consolidated levels and, and understanding where we have outages with you know currency or intercompany or overrides or complex consolidation or other elements. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. I mean, what I like to think about is, you know, early on, the number of issues are really high, but generally the complexity of the issues are pretty low. You know, like I didn't flip a sign or, um, you know, I, a bad mapping or something simple that you fix, reload the data and it resolves, you know, 100, 200 broken accounts or whatever. And then over time, it's sort of the inverse. The number of issues become really low but the complexity gets really high. And then you're like trying to figure out why a consolidation method isn't working exactly right, you know, and you're trying to like prove out uh, some complex rules that you might have. And it takes a little bit of time to work through that. What do you think are the biggest project risks you see? Obviously, we're talking about data reconciliation. For me, that's number one. But where do you rank it? What are some other project risks you you think about when you come in? Yeah, I mean, some of the standard ones, you know, resourcing. Uh, we, we again, we talked the whole conversation about data validation, but making sure that you have appropriate uh, resource dedication um, to the project. So everyone's going to have things going on. Everyone's going to have other side projects and other elements, um, but resource dedication is is critical. I don't typically see this on the consolidation side, but when we get into FP&A. Um, uh, projects specifically, um, that vision that you set up front during requirements and design and making sure that, um, you know, the, the decision makers are on the same page with the direction they want to go in terms of the, the you know, driver-based calculations, the most important metrics to track, the, that's really also important um, in the project. I think what we've seen in our experience is doing regular um, show and tell sessions or conference room pilots early and often in the build with a broader user community has saved us from some challenges where, you know, um, certain resources in FP&A may have a different opinion or a different direction they'd want to go in than others. So they could call that scope creep. It's really just alignment. It's making sure that the business is truly aligned on the vision um, for the solution. But that's something that, you know, you just have to make sure you have the right resources in the room and that they see everything um, early and often uh, in the project. I do think with, with OneStream being a very robust platform, I think that there are organizations that get excited and want to 
tackle everything that is yeah. available to them immediately, right? And I think that um, like with any solution, right, what you want to do is you want to make sure that there is a deliberate approach to, um, you know, your implementation and that you want to tackle the right things first and have some type of sequential component to how you implement the solution. And that way your organization can adapt and adjust and really uh, get the best use of the solution in the long term. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. How do you get feedback on a project and, and maybe during the project and maybe post implementation? How do you know that the customer is happy? The way that we lay out communication from a project standpoint is that there are at a minimum a weekly cadence of status meetings. I think beyond that, as a, a project leader, what I ask of our architects and what I do is also regularly touch point with the exec leadership um, outside of those meetings. So one-on-one -on -one conversations to candidly say, hey, what could we be do doing better? What do we need to do uh, differently? Um, it also opens the door for, their, for them to say to you, hey, what does our team need to be doing differently for you? And I find in those those one-on-one -on -one conversations, we get really good feedback about um, how we're doing on a project, the perception that the client has, and ultimately things that we can improve upon to, to make sure that we deliver. This last question, this is really fun for me. I like to ask everybody that that's been, especially on the, the implementation side, the consultants, I'm a consultant. Tell me three things you wish you knew before you got into consulting. Oh, three things I wish I knew before <laughs> I got into consulting. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, I love it. I, I would say... Uh, I, I more look at it positively. I'm an optimist. So maybe I'm going to tell you three things I love about consulting and instead right. of three things I wish I knew. I'll, I'll um, accept but, it. I'll um, accept it. I would say every every client, and maybe this is good and bad, is different, right? So, um, you know, you're never going to walk into two organizations and have the same resource mix, which could be good or bad. So maybe that's a that could be a negative one, right? They're never going to have the same challenges and they're never going to need the same solution. I think that there is a tendency in consulting at times to look at what you've done in the past and assume that that's going to work going forward. And it, it just doesn't. You need to be adaptive and you need to be innovative and try to come up with something new uh, depending yeah. on, on the client need. I would say that uh, here maybe here's a negative one is that um, I don't think that... Um, how do I say this? My personal schedule and my uh, evenings and weekends are as important to uh, to my customers and clients as they can be to me. So yeah. <laughs> at times, you know, there's, you know, that late email comes through or that weekend, you know, uh, yeah. issue comes through and, you know, you kind of have to jump on it. Right. So um, that's certainly something that, uh, you know, we, we try to prevent as the best that we can, but it certainly happens in consulting. And then maybe the third thing would be, um, you know, you have to constantly stay on top of, of change. Um, and, you know, when I think about OneStream and the reason that we really love our partnership with OneStream is that um, the innovation is is constant, right? And what that means is that the thing that we implemented two years ago um, and the solution that we put in place two years ago, we now have more capability and more available to us. And we better be on top of that because we need to make sure that we can convey that to our clients and ultimately use the solution to the best of its ability for our clients. Another great discussion. Thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. Remember, if you like this content, please don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then, take care, and I'll see you next time on The OneStream Podcast. The OneStream Podcast is brought to you by the OneStream Global Education Services team.